Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's a passage that we've been looking at during Bible school this past week. Ephesians, chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 10 through 20. Follow in your Bibles as I read. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take and do the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to withstand in the, deep, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you that in an evil world you've given us the armor that we need so that we can stand for truth, stand for you. And I pray that we as Christians might be faithful to do that. We want to confess today, Lord, that many times as Christians we fail We might major on some part of our armor and fail on the rest. I pray that you'd help us to understand we need all the armor to fight against the devil. But we thank you that we have the victory in Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you might use the message today to remind us of that. If there's someone here today who has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today might be the day of faith for them. And we pray that you might speak to all of our hearts, give enablement to bring the message. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he made it very clear that believers in Christ have been rescued from the clutches of the devil. Before we were saved, the book of Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says that we were children of disobedience following the prince of the power of the air that is, Satan. We were fulfilling the desires of our sinful flesh, and therefore we were deserving of the wrath of God. That's who we were before we were saved. Verse 3. Chapter 4, verses 17 18 says, We walked in the vanity of our minds, with our understanding darkened. We were alienated from the life of God, and we were ignorant because of the blindness of our heart. Before we were saved, we also walked in darkness because we had no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, chapter 5, verse 5 and 8. But when we believed on Jesus Christ, God saved us by his grace. He made us alive and put us in his kingdom and his body, the church, chapter 5, verse 5 and also verses 24 through 30. Satan is not happy about that. He's not happy when God takes somebody out of his kingdom and puts it in God's kingdom. So if you're saved, God's not happy about the fact that you've been saved. He wars against God and he wars against God's people. 
And so we are told in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against physical forces. Sometimes we believe it is. We believe that we fight against people. But our battle is not really against physical forces. The Bible says it's against spiritual forces. We see it in verse 12. We are daily in a spiritual battle between good and evil. As verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is not that we as Christians are on the sideline observing the Lord's battle. It's not that at all. In fact, the Lord says we wrestle. He says we wrestle. He says in verse verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. So we are wrestling, and wrestling isn't uh, something that you stand back and watch somebody else do. Wrestling is hand-to-hand combat. And so we, as Christians, are wrestling in this battle. And uh, all believers, whether you're a child who knows Jesus, a teenager who knows Jesus, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, or an older adult, it doesn't matter your age. The devil never gives up on you. He wants, to, he wants to do you in if he possibly can. He can't take away your salvation, but he can take away your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. He can take away your effectiveness of being a soldier for the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that uh, the, the Bible describes Satan as in different terms. He uses the term devil. The word devil means he's the accuser. And the scripture says he's the accuser of the brethren, so the devil goes and accuses you. So you want to make sure that you're doing right, because if you don't, then the devil's going to bring that up before God, as he did, as he did uh, for, for Job. So he's our accuser. Another word for the devil is, is, the, is the word Satan. The word Satan means he's our adversary. So he's the one that's fighting against us. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of God's people. He's also called in John chapter 8, verse 44, a murderer and also a liar. There's another passage where he's called a thief. He's also called, he's also likened unto a lion. He's like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. So he's our enemy. He's called a serpent. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he's called a serpent. It reminds us of back in the book of Genesis where the serpent tempted Eve. He was a, a sly creature. And uh, the serpent very, in the very beginning didn't have all those bad connotations that we have of serpents today. In fact, uh, some believe that the serpent back then even had feet because the Lord's curse on him was that after that he would crawl on his belly. And so he... He uh, seduced Eve and caused her to sin. And so we're up against that when we, as Christians, we're fighting for the Lord and serving the Lord. We have the, the devil, the serpent, the liar, the murderer, the thief, the, the, and uh, the lion, and uh, the serpent all after us. He's trying to get us. He's also the enemy of his own people. And many don't realize this, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in the devil's kingdom, but he's your enemy as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that the God of this world blinds the people who are in his kingdom so that they will not believe the gospel. He doesn't want unsaved people to be saved. So he's actually against those who follow him. He doesn't want them to be saved. He tempts you to sin and then enslaves you with sin. And sometimes you see these young people, they're, uh, they're just starting to dabble in sin. You realize 
oh, I wish they wouldn't go down that path because the devil's going to enslave them and he'll tempt them to sin. And uh, this is his own people, those who are already lost, those who are part of his kingdom. He wants to destroy their life and so he enslaves them by sin. He deceives them by lying about the result of sin. And when a preacher preaches about hell, he wants to get them to laugh about it and say, oh, it's not true, but it is true. And the devil doesn't want you to know that if you're, if you're in his kingdom because he wants you to be damned for eternity. He's your enemy, and you don't even know it. So many people in the world today who laugh at Christianity don't realize that they're the one who is their, their prince, the one they're following, is actually against them and wants them to go to hell. The outward evidence of this war between God and Satan, between good and evil, between truth and lies, between light and darkness, is clearly seen today. All of you understand that. It's very evident today. Because there's been so little resistance against the enemy, he's becoming bolder each day. And I believe that's one reason that sin is so rampant today is because Christians haven't been pushing back like we should. And we haven't been standing up to evil and, and uh, telling it for what it is. And many churches today, I saw the other day on TV, a preacher wrote a book called Woke Jesus. And he's exposing how many churches are going along with this woke philosophy. And uh, they're watering down the gospel and they're uh, accepting these things that are unacceptable in God's sight. Covert operations are operations that are not uh, openly acknowledged or displayed. You've all heard about covert operations of, of the military. And the devil still does some covert operations, that's sure. But many of his moves today are bold and out in the open, and he's not uh, ashamed at all to promote these things. They're no longer covert. They're just out in the open. The moral sins of of today have been around for a long time. In fact, from the very beginning, there have been sins, and and, uh, moral sins didn't take long for them to happen. Now, sometimes people make a mistake, and they say the oldest, the oldest profession in, in the world is prostitution, they say. That's not the oldest profession. The oldest profession was a good profession, and that is gardening <laughs> or a farmer. That was the oldest profession. But the other bad things, they've been around a long time. And uh, so it's, they've been around, but many were hidden hidden in shame because the society, most of society did not approve of it. But now the LBGTQIA plus crowd have become very vocal, open, and unashamed. Their sin has gone through stages from not tolerated to tolerated, then to accepted, but that wasn't enough, then to approved. And now it's gotten to the place that it's celebrated. And some places you find it goes to the next step and that it's, is, it's militant. And that is, if you won't agree with it, they'll be against you militantly. And so it's become very bold. The kingdom of darkness is feeling emboldened today because it has won many battles. But God has news for this world. And that is, the kingdom of darkness will lose to King Jesus, the king of righteousness. It will lose. But now... We're in a battle between truth and error, between light and darkness, between goodness and evil. God wants us to win our daily battles. But there are four things that are necessary from this passage. There are four things that are necessary 
if we're going to be victorious on a daily basis in this battle for truth, in this battle of good against evil. Four things that are necessary. Let's look at them together. The first one is this. We must have knowledge of the enemy. You know, anytime uh, military goes to battle, they want to know about the, the enemy. And you want to know about, uh, you know, their, how many tanks they have, how many missiles they have, uh, how many jets they have, all that. You want to know about that because the more you know about the enemy, the best you're prepared. And so if we're going to be victorious in this battle with the devil, we have to know about the enemy. Well, who is the enemy? Well, he's Satan. And who is Satan? He's a created being. The Bible tells us about Satan in, in, uh, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and also in Isaiah. And uh, we find from the scripture that the devil is a created being. He was not created the devil. He was not created bad. He was created as a good, good uh, creature. We know that from several verses, but one verse is this. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Heaven, earth, sea, and everything that's in them. That means the devil's out there. God created him. We find that in in Ezekiel chapter 28. It says he was a created being. Also, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, God created everything, and so the devil is a created being. But he was a, a created perfect. He was created sinless. But according to Ezekiel 28 and also Isaiah chapter 14, he fell. Pride rise, rose up in his heart, and he fell. And God cast him out of heaven because of his sin. Also, the Bible says, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, that he took a third of the angels with him. So in his rebellion, a third of the angels that God had created rebelled against the Lord as well and followed the devil. And so he has many helpers today. They're seen in the New Testament. And in our King James Version, it says devils. In other versions, it says demons. And that's who they are. They're demons. And so these fallen angels are now demons. And so when in the New Testament, when Jesus was casting out the demons, he was casting out these devils and uh, uh, of these, these fallen angels that had dwelt people. So the, so the devil, the Satan himself, has many helpers. And these, in this passage, they're referred to as the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. And so there are many helpers the devil has. He, has, he and his forces are powerful, but they're no match for God. The Bible says in, the, in the 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You see, you need to understand something about the devil, and that is he is not like God in, in, the, in that he does not know everything. He doesn't know. In fact, I think there's a lot of things the devil doesn't know until we show him, until we tell him. God, the devil doesn't know what's going on in your mind until you speak it, and then he hears it. He knows it. He's not all-knowing. He's also not all-powerful. There's great limits to the devil's power. No limits to God's power, but there's great limits to the devil's power. He's not only all know, not, uh, not all-knowing or not all-powerful, but he's also not everywhere present. Uh, many times, you remember, there was a comedian years ago, what was his name, Flip Wilson or Flip something. <laughs> anyway, he's, his favorite, favorite phrase was, the devil made me do it. And, you know, lots of times we do that. Well, the devil made me do it. 
Well, the devil didn't make all of us do things because the devil can't be every place at one time. He can only be one place at a time. And he's moving up and down. You remember Jesus, uh, God asked uh, the devil what, where he'd been. He said, I've been going up and down, uh, walking in the earth, going up and down in it. <laughs> and so he surveys things, and then he sees a situation he wants to get involved in, so he gets down and involved in it. And maybe the devil has walked up and down in your life. Maybe he hasn't personally. But he has a lot of helpers. He has a lot of de- demons. He has a lot of devils who, who help him. And so he's very busy, and he orchestrates all of that. And uh, he's, a, he's powerful, but he's not as powerful as the Lord. He's also clever. The verse says in verse 11 of this passage, it says he's the wiles of the devil. That means clever stratagem. It means uh, the things that the, the devil's thinking of, that he he's, has schemes on his mind that he wants to, to, to work in, in, in you and in others. And so uh, he says that uh, the devil's a very clever uh, individual. So that's who our enemy is. And so when you know you're fighting against the devil, you know that you're fighting about some, against somebody more powerful than you are, but not more powerful than God. A devil, the devil knows a lot because he's been around from, from the very beginning. So he has a lot of experience in dealing with people. And your case is not new to him because he's got a lot of people just like you. And so he has a lot of experience. And so we know that, and we know that he's tricky, he's very clever, and you've got to watch out for him, but you also know this, my God is greater than he is. <laughs> and I can have victory, I can have victory. So a knowledge of the enemy is very important. And then another thing that's necessary is this, we must have protection from the enemy. You have knowledge of the enemy, but then you have to have protection from the enemy. And that's what the Lord tells us about in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So put on the whole armor of God. You have what's necessary. You need to put on that protection. And so we need all the armor. And God doesn't say, now you put on one piece, you can neglect the other. We need it all. We need all these pieces of the armor. Why? Because the devil is very clever and knows what he's doing. If you just put on one piece and you don't put on the other, then he'll look for that weakness in you and he'll get that. In chapter 4, verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him any room. Don't give him any place where he can attack you. Be protected all in all places, as the Lord says. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it tells about uh, the individual that had sinned and the, and the church was not willing to forgive him even though he had he'd come to the church and, wanted to con, wanted, and confessed it and won forgiveness. They were not quite willing to forgive him. And, and the Lord, remind, uh, Paul reminded them of this. He says, you forgive him lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. You allow a little sin in your life and the devil's going to take advantage of that and he's going to use that against you. So make sure that you understand that all the pieces of armor are very important. So what's the first piece? Last week the kids learned about it. It's over on that wall there and it's the girdle it's the girdle of truth. And they learned that verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. And so the girdle of truth is what they need, the belt of truth. I believe that means that we should know the truth, 
We should tell the truth, and we should trust the truth. Do you know the truth? I mean, when people ask you a question about some particular sin that's going on today, can you tell them definitively that that is wrong? And they come back to you and say, you're judging me, and then you back down. Don't back down. Yes, you're judging them in this sense. You're saying that that is sin. You are are allowed to make that judgment because God makes that judgment and God says this is sin. You don't have to question and say, well, it might be right for you. It might be wrong for you. Uh, I'm not going to judge you. No, you can judge. In that sense, you can judge that this sin is wrong. You can make that judgment. Now, you can't judge person's motives. You can't judge what's going on in their head. You don't know that. But you can judge if they're committing a particular sin. Say somebody goes into a store and you see them steal something. Is it wrong for you to go up and say, uh, you shouldn't do that. The Bible says it's wrong to steal. And they might come back, you're judging me. You could rightly say, yes, I am. And I have the right to do that because God says it's wrong. It's sin. And so uh, we can make those judgments. The girdle of truth. Know the truth. You have to know what the Bible says. Tell the truth. That means no lies. Don't live a life of lies. You deal with the truth all the time, and you trust the truth, the truth of God's word. You trust it, so you're on the belt of truth. Now, the belt in the, in the um, uh, Roman days and the soldiers, the belt held a lot of things together. And it was important to have that girdle, that belt of truth. In fact, the sword hung on that belt of truth. Their sword. During Bible school, I brought a sword that I have, and it was a long sword. Back in Roman days, though, the sword that the Roman soldiers carried was not that real long sword. It was a shorter sword that they could use in close combat. But uh, they had a sword, and you really couldn't use properly the sword unless you had the belt on. Well, it's the true, true of us, too. We can't use the sword, the word of God, if we're a person given to lies. It won't be effective. You can't talk to somebody about Jesus if they know you're a liar. They're not going to listen to you. And so you have to have the belt of truth, the the girdle of truth. The devil is going to attack your home. And so you must make sure that your home is a place where truth is told. And uh, call out your kids when they lie. Don't let them get by with it. And make sure that you don't set the wrong example and uh, they know you to be a liar. You see, the kids know all about us. They know all things, and they know what goes on at home. And then when they see their mom and dad out in public acting like they're something that they're really not, that's a lie. And so if you don't want them to be a liar, then you live the truth. So have the belt of truth. And then the next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. I believe that speaks to the fact that we as God's, God's people, those who've truly been saved, are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We illustrated during Bible school with taking a young man and, and putting an old dirty shirt on him, one that I had soaked in mud and, and, uh, tea, and, and tea and all that, trying to make it dirty. And we put that on him and said, now when Jesus saves you, he takes off that old, old self and he puts on it a brand new place, self. And that is he puts his righteousness on you. And so we took the old off and put the bright white T-shirt on and so it was clothed. We are clothed in righteousness. And our standing before the Lord is that. We're clothed in the righteousness of the Lord. But also that breastplate, I think, speaks of our activities, our actions. And that since, since we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it's only right that we would do right. So we should do right. 
The word right is in the book, and the word righteousness. Right, it's the first word, part of the word. And so we're to do what is right. Jesus said, be holy, for I am holy. And so holiness should be a part of a Christian. Satan will attack you when you lack righteousness. If there's some part in your life that's not righteous, that's not holy, that's not good, maybe it's a habit you have, maybe it's a a thought you have, maybe it's some action that you're doing. If it's something that's wrong, the the devil's going to attack that. He's going to know that's your weak place. And so be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord. You are if you're a Christian, but then have righteous deeds. Do what is right, clothed in the breastplate of righteousness. So if you're going to be a successful soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be a person who's going around sinning. You have to do what's right if God's going to use you like he wants to. Also, he tells us to put on the shoes of the gospel. Look at verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shoes help us to stand firm. And the soldier, if he's going to fight in the battle, he needs a good pair of shoes that he's going to be able to stand there firm against the enemy. Good shoes also help you when you're moving forward. Gives you good traction and you move forward. And the Lord says we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. That means we know the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's given us peace. And so we can stand with confidence in the battle because we have the shoes of peace. We've been saved. We know it. We have the gospel, and uh, we, we depend upon that. And so we have peace in our hearts. We're not fearful of the struggle. We're not, we're not wondering who's going to win. We know who's going to win. We have peace. We're at peace with God, and we have the peace of God. And then we take the gospel of peace. So with the shoes of the gospel, we move forward and we share the gospel. We share it with other people. You know, the Lord tells us we're ambassadors for Christ. As an ambassador for Christ, we say to other, other people, be ye reconciled to God. Now that's the gospel of peace. <laughs> be reconciled to God. What does that mean? Well, you're enemy of God right now. You're at enmity with God. You're not at peace with God. But if you believe the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, believe that he died for you, was buried, rose again the third day, and he paid for all your sins and wants to be your Savior, and if you'll call on him and receive him as your Savior, come to him in repentance and faith, you will be saved. That's the gospel of peace. And those who are not at peace with God, when they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be at peace with God, surely, That's a wonderful message of peace. And people need that today. We need to share the gospel of peace. And then notice the next piece of of armor, and that's the shield of faith. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The Roman soldiers, we were told, carried a shield that was uh, usually about four foot long and about two foot wide. And so it protected a whole lot as, uh, as, the, as the enemies was shooting things at them. And it could stop a spear, it could stop an arrow, or it could stop what is called a fiery dart. And they would, put, uh, they would take their, their arrow and they'd put uh, flammable or inflammable. Uh, I saw a writer said inflammable, and I looked it up. I said, he didn't mean to say inflammable because that means it, it, it won't flame, but I was wrong. Inflammable means it burns. <laughs> you look it up. 
I learned something. <laughs> so it's flammable or inflammable means the same thing. And anyway, he put that flammable substance on his, on his arrow, and then he lit it and he shot the arrow so that it could hit and then start a fire. The devil has all kind of fiery arrows he throws at us. It might be lies that he wants us to tell. He tempts us and says, use this. Why don't you take this? Or he'll throw an, uh, an arrow at us of anger, and he'll tempt us because we've been upset about something to let our uh, emotions run wild and just let go and just let it take over, and we've become consumed with anger. The devil wants us to act that way, so he throws that at us. He'll throw hate at us. And we just get so that we just almost, even though we're Christian, we say, I hate that individual. No, you shouldn't do that. Hate is wrong. The Bible says hate's equivalent to murder. And so we shouldn't do that. So we, we say no to that. Well, how are we going to be able to stop all those fiery darts of the devil? What if it's doubts? What if it's sinful desires that, God, that the devil throws at you and he shoots you a fiery dart? How are you going to stop that? The Lord says, here's the way you stop it. Have the shield of faith. Faith says to the devil, I don't believe that lie. Faith says to the devil, I will not be overcome by anger. Faith says to the devil, I will not entertain that thought. I know you threw that through my mind and my fleshly nature wants me to think that, but I say no to that thought and I put it down and I stop those fiery darts of the devil. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it by faith. Faith. Faith in God's commandments. God says don't do that. We believe, well, God's right when he says don't do that. God's not trying to rob me. God's not trying to keep me from having fun. God's not trying to destroy my life by telling me I can't do this. We believe God's commandments. We believe God's promises. God promises that he'll give us victory. We don't have to succumb to this. God promises that he will make things work out together for good. Just do what is right and, and stop those, those fiery arts, darts from the devil. Your faith says that. God warns you. Be sure your sin will find you out. And here comes that, that fiery dart the devil sends you, and it might be a temptation that looks really good, but the Lord says, be sure your sin will find you out. And we believe that, and we stop it by faith, the shield of faith. It's very important. There's no, another thing I read about the Roman soldiers, and that is their shields being four foot long and two foot wide had interlocking things on the side of it. And so a soldier could stand next to another soldier and he could interlock his, his shield with that soldier. And so several people having their shields interlocked together formed a wall. That's interesting, you know. The Lord says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I want to read that because it's not just that verse, it's the whole context. It says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. One reason it's important that we assemble together as God's people is because we form a wall. 
And together we can lock our shields, so to speak, and say, I believe too. I trust the Lord. And we go out to fight for the Lord. And together we're, we're a force for the Lord. And the Lord wants us to be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and there's another piece of armor. And that's the helmet of salvation. I believe that's a controlled mind. It's a mind that's saved by the grace of God. You're a saved individual. And first of all, you know it. You know, you can't be an effective soldier if you don't know that you're saved. I went through about nine years of my life not knowing whether I was saved or not. Preacher, I've told you my testimony before. Preacher came to our church. I was 13 years old, and uh, his name was Bill Compton. And it was at Kings Mills, uh, just Kings Mills Baptist Church. He came and preached a message about the worst thing that happened to an individual is to go through their life thinking they were saved and end up in eternity lost. I thought I was saved. I went forward in church as a little boy. I got baptized and all that. The preacher told me I was saved. So I'm saved. But that struck my heart that day and convicted me, and I couldn't get, get rid of it. But I was too proud to admit it to anybody. So I went through high school and graduated and went to college. At college, I went to a, a school that was so-called Christian, but uh, uh, they mocked the Bible and the preacher uh, apologized one sun, Sunday morning that his, for his message because he had drank too much the night before. and It was that kind of church. <laughs> and uh, we had Bible studies in my room and another guy that, was, that we were friends with. We had Bible studies, and, and the guys in the dorm would make fun of the Bible studies and write things on the Bible study notices that we put on the bulletin board. And I tried to stand for the Lord, but all the time I was doing it, there was this deep conviction Something wrong with you, Earl. I taught Sunday school at a black Baptist church in North Carolina. Every Sunday, we'd take the school van, we'd go up to this black Baptist church, and we taught Sunday school for those little kids. Really enjoyed that. But all the time, there's this nagging thing. You're not right. You're not right. And so I left there. It was a junior college and went to Cedarville College, and and there I studied Bible. I was preparing for the ministry, but all the time I had this nagging thing. I'm not right. And finally, through all those years, it took nine years and until uh, I finally came to know Jesus as my Savior. And I realized that I was trusting what I did. And I would argue with the Lord and say, but Lord, I did this. I prayed that prayer. I, on that side of the auditorium in Kings Mill Baptist Church, I remember it right there. And... Uh, but at eight years old, I didn't really, and some people do understand, but at eight years old, I didn't really understand. I didn't really put my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. And the Lord finally convinced me, yes, Earl, you're trusting what you did, not what I did. Because when I'd argue with him, I'd always go back to that church, you know, on that side, what I did. But finally, the Lord convinced me, you don't go back to there, you go back to the cross of Calvary, what Jesus did. <laughs> And finally, I got that in my mind, and I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I've had perfect peace ever since. But I couldn't be an effective servant not knowing I was saved. The helmet of salvation, do you know you're saved? You'll never be an effective servant of Jesus if you don't even know you're saved. You need to get that right, get that straight in your life. But then also, I believe it speaks of a mind that's taught by God. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A mind that knows about the Lord and knows the doctrines of the Scripture. 
and a mind because we know about the Lord, and we that type of mind causes us to think right. And so Philippians chapter 4 says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on those things. Eight things there. The Lord tells us kind of thoughts we're to think. The helmet of salvation means you know Jesus as your Savior and you're thinking the right thoughts. And so if you're going to be an effective soldier for Jesus Christ, you have to guard your mind. If you guard your mind, you'll guard your life. And uh, it's very important that you control your mind. You can't be an effective soldier of Jesus Christ if you do all the things you're supposed to do at church and everything, you know, and you sing pretty and you open your Bible and you read and you tell people you're reading your Bible through and you memorize scripture and all that, but then at night you go home and nobody's looking around, you turn on the computer and you're watching pornography. That is wrong. There's nothing right about it. And you can't be an effective servant of Jesus Christ if that's going on in your life. Nobody else might know about it, but God does. God knows, and so you must be careful. So we have to have protection from the enemy. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. But then there's a third thing you must have, and that is we must have a weapon against the enemy. Now, what's the weapon? There's only one weapon. It's not your determination. It's not your abilities. It's the word of God. And the Bible says... And taking the, sh- and he says, taking the sh- helmet of salvation and the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All those other things are on us, their protection, but the sword of the Spirit of the Word of God is the only offensive weapon that you have. The Bible, the Word of God. It's the only weapon. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces even into the heart and divides it. Knows what you, ha- what you are. The word of God does that. So God says use the word of God. Jesus used the word of God. As we told our kids in Bible school, remember in, jo- in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, it talks about the contest the Lord had with the devil in the wilderness. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was weak and he was hungry, And the devil came to him with temptations. And three times Jesus answered him by saying, it is written. He didn't say, I'm stronger than you, devil. I'm just going to throw you down. He took the word of God and he said, it's written. It's written. It's written. Jesus showed us the example. If we're going to fight effectively the devil, we have to use the word of God. Now, to use the word of God, you have to know the word of God. And so you know it, and then you use it in the battle for the Lord. I got this from Dr. Wearsby. I thought it was interesting. He said, physical sword pierces the body, but the word of God pierces the heart. Physical souls wound, wound, to, wound to hurt and kill. The word of God wounds to heal and give life. Physical sword becomes duller with use. But the spiritual sword, the word of God, the more you use it, the sharper it seems to get. More effective it is. Use it over and over again. 
And it's been pointed out that Peter used the sword one time, the physical sword, and what did he do? He cut off a man's ear. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> but he used the spiritual sword at the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. Now, which was better? 3,000 people getting saved or cutting off a man's ear? The spiritual sword is what we need, the Word of God. We must know the Word of God if we're going to use the Word of God. It's not enough to know your enemy. It's not enough to be protected from the enemy. If that's all you have, then you're not going to accomplish much for the Lord because the Lord says, now with all that equipment to protect you from the enemy, I want you to go forth and fight and you use the Word of God. We don't use our fists. We don't use our words. We use the Word of God. And so God wants us to be servants who are effective by using the Word of God. And then there's a fourth thing that's needed if we're going to have victory in this battle. And that is we must have communications with the commander. Look at verse 18. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. Praying always. He says, always pray. Doesn't mean you're always on your knees. It doesn't mean you're always talking audibly to the Lord. But always praying is the same as 1 Thessalonians tells us. Pray without ceasing. That is being an attitude of communication with the Lord. We're in a battle. And all the time we have the privilege of direct contact with the, with the commander. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer is talking to God. And so to be an effective servant of the Lord and a soldier of the Lord, you have to have communication with the commander. And you're praying always. With all prayer. All kinds of prayer. Prayer is asking. Prayer is thanking. Prayer is praising. So you're just talking to the Lord and all kinds of prayer. You're, doing, you're praying all the time in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that will help you to pray in the will of God. And so the Spirit of God who dwells in us and controls us, He will help us to pray the right things. It might not be God's will for you to pray for a brand new vehicle. It could be, but it might not be. Who's going to determine that? Well, probably you won't to to do too well about that because you'd really like to have that new vehicle. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But the Spirit of God who lives in you will help you know whether that's God's will for you right now. And so you pray in the Spirit. Watching. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God that he'll exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. And then the next verse says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom may devour. So we're to pray, and our prayer involves watching. Because while you're talking to the commander, the devil's out there, and he wants to do something to mess you up. And so always be on the watch out for the devil. And uh, so we should watch out for what the devil is going to do, because he's all, he never sleeps. He and his forces are always trying to do us in. And so we need to be watchful. And then he says, pray for all saints. That means people in here that, that need our prayers. This morning, I had my alarm. I got to bed about midnight. had my alarm set at 7.30. I woke up a little before 6 and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I was thinking about the message and I thought about my kids. And I thought about my grandkids. And so I text the message to the grandkids. 
and told them that I prayed for them today because I know they're facing the battle. You know, they're young, they're vibrant, and they're facing these things from the devil. And I told them, I'm preaching on Ephesians 6 this morning, and I know you're facing the battle. I want you to know I'm praying for you. And uh, it's important for us to pray for people. I need your prayers. Before you come to church, it's a good idea to say, uh, Lord, help the pastor today to deliver the message that we need. And I will be effective. A lot, a lot of it will depend on if you pray for me. So we'll pray for one another. And Paul said, and for me. He was a missionary. We pray for our missionaries. So this morning I mentioned Brother Johnson. And uh, we need to pray for his uh, recovery. He needs to get back on the field because he has that hand that's messed up. The good thing about it is a person who signs for sign language and he preaches to the deaf a lot. They lead with one hand and they follow with the other. If you're right-handed, you lead with your right hand. If you're left-handed, you lead with your left hand. And that's the most important one. He's left-handed. Guess what hand got injured? His right hand. And I asked him, I said, Brother Johnson, is it going to affect your, your sign language? He said, no, it won't bother at all because I lead with my left hand. And I follow with my right. He says, I can still do it fine. I've been doing it for years. It won't, fall, it won't hurt that. But we need to pray for him. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for one another. All of us face struggles. We need to pray for one another. You see, we're in it together. We need to lock our shields and we need to go forth together for the Lord. As we close this morning, I'd like to just say a couple other things. And that is, first of all, note that all these things are essential. You might be a person who's given to witnessing, and you're really prone to witness to people. That's great. That's very important. But don't let down the other. Don't let the other things down. If you have a home, if you have a family, it's very important for you to deal with that family because that family needs you. If you're a person who's given to reading your Bible and you'd read your Bible but you neglect your kids that are running around and need your help, well, the Lord says, put on the whole armor of God. You need that. Maybe you're a grandparent and you, you're very effective at your garden and all those things and you're very good, you're very organized and and uh, that's a quality, and the Lord gives you that quality, and, and you say, oh, I'm really focused on this. Well, maybe your grandkids come up, and they grow up, and, and they leave the home and everything, and, and they had no influence from their grandparents. And you failed, and God doesn't want us to fail. So all the armor is important, and the sword is of utmost important. And then one other thing I'd like to close with, and that is, as we deal with people, let's remember that the unsaved people that we're fighting against sometimes are blinded by the devil. They're deceived. They think they're right because the devil's convinced them they're right. But they're not. And rather than deal with them in harshness and just responding in an angry way about their sin, we need to deal with them in love. Remember Jesus went out of his way the well of Samaria, and met that lady who had been married five times and was now living with a man who was not her husband. And he went out of his way to talk to her and lead her to Jesus. We need to have a compassion for people. Yes, we stand for the truth, 
Yes, we know what is right, and we're going to say what is right, but we have a love for those people because they're deceived. They live in darkness. They're stumbling, and they don't even know the devil, the one they're following, is against them. So make sure we have compassion. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to see the truth of this passage. And Lord, I know it's full of a lot of things that we need to deal with. And we need to concentrate on that belt of truth, and that breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, and the helmet of salvation. And I pray that we will enter each day fully armed and equipped, but not forget our sword, because we'll need that as we talk to people. Help us to be people who love you, serve you, and know your word. If there's somebody here today, Lord, who's not a Christian, I pray the day they'd be saved. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.